Welcome to Realty Talk, the show that brings together the country's most authoritative and respected property experts. Follow us on all the socials and subscribe for updates and exclusive offers. Realty Talk is powered by realty.com.au, connecting buyers, sellers and agents differently. Hi and welcome to this week's Realty Talk show, your go-to place for all things property. I'm Bushy Martin from Know How Property Finance and we've got some great guests on this week's episode. Now it's fair to say that last year was a truly remarkable year in property. So what lessons did we learn from it that will guide us in the year ahead? To discuss the year that was and the year that will be, Realty Talk regular Simon Presley from Propertyology joins us for part one of a special two-part feature. Now, most investors tend to focus on how much money they're likely to make without properly considering the risks and how to protect their investments. So to balance the books, Darren Kingdon from Kingdon Financial Services does a deep dive on property risk management. And in the cut and thrust world of property management, the old days of tenants responding to letting ads in the paper has long gone as social media and tech continue to transform the industry. To discuss this tech transformation and to close out the show, we're joined by Adam Hines from Sorted Services, who work closely with property managers and are actually Australia's first all-in-one home services marketplace. We've got some great insights to share, so let's get on with the show. Hi and welcome. Now, in my humble experience, almost everyone's an armchair expert on what's going to happen in property, and property predictions from so-called experts absolutely abound, but very few of them manage to consistently get it right. Last year's national property performance is the perfect case in point, because despite many forecasts of the contrary, 2021 was a truly remarkable year in property, as was accurately predicted by today's special guest, whose contrarian approach was yet again on the money. So in a special two-part interview series that dissects the year that was and the year that will be in property, we're joined again by the Warren Buffett of Property in Australia, a Realty Talk favourite, and Australia's premier property market analyst, Simon Presley, the head of research at Propertyology. Welcome back to the show, Simon. Thanks, Bushy. Happy 2022 to you, my friend. Likewise, mate. Uh, If... uh, all the indicators are good. We're in for another cracker this year, mate, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So, um, mate, uh, to kick things off, to sort of put property projections in context, can we start with a look at how Propertyology's predictions have stacked up against reality, as well as your comparisons to other expert predictions over the last couple of years? Yeah, um, I'll put a graphic together, um, if we can bring that up on the screen now. I guess in doing that, this is dangerous, because I know that there's always someone out there waiting to... Uh, pick you up when you get your forecasting wrong and I've often argued Bushy there is nothing more difficult on this planet other than perhaps getting a cure for cancer than forecasting property markets there's so many moving pieces but um you know one of the proudest moments of my um entire working life was being the only person in Australia to accurately predict the boom uh that happened when we all went into that national lockdown this might sound strange but it's actually the easiest forecast I've ever made I've never been more more certain but um okay. and this graphic shows that uh you know, all of the big banks um, and a number of high-profile economists um, all predicted double-digit declines. Some of those were as much as 30% um, declines in the 2020 calendar year. Um, the year just completed, the 2021 calendar year, um, we saw a continuation of the boom that started uh, probably about um, August in 2020. 
um, is when it started to really accelerate. So 2021, we knew it was going to be a good year. But but again, the very, very conservatives, banks and economists who, quite frankly, don't understand property markets very well, never have, um, they were still forecasting around that 10% range, which is a fantastic year. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but it proved to be well short um, of what actually happened. In fact, most of the banks, what they actually forecast at the start of 2021, the actual result was four times higher than what they forecast at the start of the yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the comparison with your thoughts, uh, uh, just to spell it out, uh, talk to us about how to look from your side. Yeah. So last year, we, we had a number of capital cities around that 15 to 18% um, annualised growth rate. I mean, we got a lot of criticised at the time. People were saying, you know, how could property prices, you know, seriously grow that much in one year? But that all, that proved to be conservative. Um, a number of capital cities had somewhere between twenty five and thirty percent last year. So we, we were unders. Um, but it, but also, you know, at the start of last year, we said, and it's still in our report today, that there would be no less than forty individual regional towns and cities that would produce in excess of 20%. We said that at the start of um, 2021, um, and that absolutely happened. There are some places that saw closer to 40%, um, and there were more than 40 that had you know that, that sort of rates of growth. So spectacular year last year, for sure. No question. So the obvious question is, what, what's different about Propertyology's forecasting approach that allows you to be consistently close to the marks on it? Um, I guess those people that society put up on a pedestal uh, and expect to have a, a good understanding of property markets, what they're probably not aware of is there's no such thing anywhere for anybody as a university where you learn about property markets. No such thing. There is no course that you can do. There are plenty of courses you can go on, but nothing of really high quality that strips things apart. So this is why no one understands property markets really, really well. I spent a big chunk of my life literally studying Australian real estate history took me many many years now when you're forecasting what's happened before is no guaranteeing happening again but the key thing to studying and, and this happens in medicine it's what we call the cause and effect um, so why I you know wanted to devote years of my life studying Australian real estate history was not just to know what happened before more importantly what what occurred for those outcomes so every location in Australia has had booms before by none Every location has had downturns before, bar none. But knowing when they occurred and what were the local conditions um, is, to me, the next best thing as a crystal ball. So what I'm looking at each and every year is a big bunch of cause and effect factors. And I've yep. trained myself to literally ignore what every bugger says about property market because that would have influenced my own decisions. And if I allowed that to happen in years gone past, Bushy, the decisions that we made as a business and where we chose to invest in we would have ignored them. I would have been influenced by everyone else's rhetoric. Yeah, uh, very good call. Well, let's go around the grounds now nationally and have a look at how property has performed over the last 12 months, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got another graphic um, we'll bring up here. But you know, let's, firstly, let's say every single capital city um, you know, did exceptionally well, didn't it? Um, uh, the worst, if we can say that worst performed, you know, capital city last year was was Darwin. Um, Melbourne, we, we thought was always going to have a pretty um, average year relative to everyone else, but it still performed strongly. Um, it's also important to say that apartments did nowhere near as well as houses. The gap was, you know, significant. In some cases, the differential between change in median house price and change in apartment value was 15 to 20%, huge, yeah. huge gap. Um, yeah. But the real big winners were, as we forecasts 
in various parts of regional Australia. In no particular order, um, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast saw about 30%. All that sort of northern New South Wales corridor, uh, Ballina, Byron, Coffs Harbour, they, you know, they had closer to 40%. Um, around there. In Victoria, um, Bendigo is a, a star performer, about 30% growth last year. Um, but most of regional Victoria did really well. Warrnambool, um, you know, Great Ocean Road country, was an exceptional performer last year. I know Mildura was about 20-odd percent um, on the back of several strong years before that. Ballarat and, and Bendigo, still strong, um, but, but nowhere near the strongest in Victoria. Um, where Albany Wodonga was a really strong performer, you know, border town country there. Um, all of Tasmania, you know, it's the most treasured real estate um, in this entire nation, bar none. Uh, Launceston probably had about 35% uh, growth last year, and Burnie was in excess of that, closer to 40. Hobart has had its now seventh consecutive year of strong performance, taking it now out to about 140% growth over the last seven years. Uh, and I know next discussion, we're going to talk about the outlook for next year, but I'm going to give away to your viewers now. The outlook for Hobart is just as strong as what it's ever been in the last seven years. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a big shift, which we'll talk about shortly. Uh, this this uh, dichotomy between the capitals and the country, uh, the, there's already a lot of commentators saying that the, I'll call it the boomerang effect. They've gone to the country, now they want to go back to the city. Uh, yeah. I, I, I guess from my perspective, I actually question that. But uh, what, what are your thoughts on this and, and how sustainable is the, the regional growth uh, exercise that we're, we've been seeing, do you think, Simon? Yeah, I, I've heard those comments and they're getting, um, they're getting louder. And frankly, it's arrogance and ignorance. The people who make those comments are rock-solid, stereotypical capital city folk that have never got their head out of their ass and looked anywhere beyond their own hometown. And they've said the same thing every single year, Bushy, about anything other than Brisbane, Sydney or Melbourne. In, in accordance to them, why would anyone want to live anywhere else? Well, that's, they're, they're projecting themselves. What they're not doing is the things we were talking about earlier. To give yourself a chance of making a really you know, good forecast and actually look at the fundamentals, I wouldn't know where to find them, let alone have the skill to put them together. Um, the boomerang effect, I would suggest that those Australians who have spent most of their life pre-COVID living in a capital city and yeah. couldn't travel overseas have gone on a number of um, regional holidays. I'm not certainly not talking about everybody here, but they've gone on um, and enjoyed regional holidays. And when they've got there, they've had this amazing feeling of relief and energy and excitement. And wow, there is a much greater chance of more people than pre-COVID, more people relocating from a, re from a capital city to a region now than before because they've had more exposure to it. And, uh, and the things that, yeah, the dynamics have changed too. There's no longer the expectation you have to spend 40 hours a week in an office in the in the in the city. So right. uh, and the technology has now enabled it. So uh, I'm with you. I, I think this uh, this lifestyle exodus to the regions is something that's uh, only going to continue and strengthen, not not the other way around. But, uh, but uh, tell us about the 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 sort of what you view as the major driver of this seismic shift in growth away from the capitals to the regions, if you don't mind. Well, the, I'm not saying all of them. I'm not saying every year, but yeah. in every single year, there are a big bunch of regional locations that have a significantly stronger local economy than most, in some cases, all capital cities. People would never know that, right? Never know that because they don't, 
they, they don't have a need to learn it. Yeah. As I, I would argue that we are the only genuine national buyers agency business in all of Australia. So we need to know that because yeah. um, economics at a local level is the thing that we place more value on than anything else. Yeah. When we pick property markets. Now, large parts of regional Australia have had an unemployment rate below the national average for many years before COVID. Yep. And if you have a think about, you know, how different industries have been affected by COVID, um, I'm not, again, not saying all, but a, a lot of industries that are more pronounced in regional Australia compared to capital cities, that, they were already strong industries and they've become stronger industries. If you think of agriculture and demand for food, not just within Australia, um, but, you know, globally. If you think of natural resources, strong. If you think of renewable energy projects going nuts, you think that's going to slow down? I think we're going to say, let's consume more coal? No way in the world. Um, domestic tourism, we've just been talking. More people have travelled this huge country and discovered corners they've never been to before, largely because of COVID, and gone, let's do more of this. So, you know, domestic tourism is going to continue to go nuts. Um, the education space, the health space, they've always been strong regions, but they're expanding. Defence force. Um, yeah, a lot of tension between Australia and some other Western countries and places like China. We're going to be investing more and more money into our defence force, which includes defence manufacturing um, and defence personnel. And most of those personnel work in regions, not in capital cities. So it's mostly an economic story. For some people, it's a lifestyle story. Um, they might still be working the same job that they were in before COVID, but they've literally picked up their laptop, they've packed the car, and the family has gone, we're getting out of it. We, we enjoyed a holiday here because of COVID and we've discovered something that's better than what we expected. Agreed. Now, you've got a great slide on uh, the, the lifestyle movement and its impact. We'll bring that up now. Can you just uh, briefly uh, uh, complement that with uh, and, and add to what you've mentioned already around that? Yeah, so this tracks um, every single uh, real estate transaction, every sale of a property, a house or an apartment all over Australia. Um, over the last sort of, you know, four years there. And, and you can see that it was actually reducing for a couple of years there. before Because before COVID, we had those years where it was hard to get a loan. Yep. Um, we had uh, two federal elections when negative gearing was the central, you know, thing we were debating. Um, so confidence to transact in real estate for a lot of people was not great. And those who had the confidence, some people couldn't get a loan because of APRA. So you see that green line trending down there, you know, for the first part of it. And then you see, this is pre-COVID, the boom started six months before COVID. Yep. Um, we, saw, we, fought, we saw a few interest rate cuts. We saw APRA pull their head in on credit policy so people could get finance again. And the boom then started. It was put on pause uh, for about three months during the national lockdown when COVID arrived. And then everyone came out of their cocoons. Um, we had stimulus. We had people wanting to escape capital cities. We had investors finally coming back in the market. And it's gone through the roof. Um, and I would you know, uh, credit policy permitting, I expect a similar trend to continue for several years. We we are in the most transformational period in Australians, every Australian's um, lifetime since 70 years ago, the beginning of the baby boom. Yep. Yep. Very exciting times, mate. Uh, and we'll, we'll look forward to uh, more detail in your projections moving forward in, in our next get together but to just to whet our appetite for that uh, uh for next week's show uh just to summarize what would be the five top tips for property investors that you suggest they adopt moving forward yeah general tips um forget where you live 
when you are investing, you're not buying it to live in. So what's important to you from a, from a feeling perspective is irrelevant. You're not trying to satisfy the feeling. The most important feeling will be 15, 20 years down the track when you go to sell and the price you get for your asset then is a lot more than other parts of Australia. So focus on the things that are going to affect that feeling. So to do that, you need to be completely borderless. Yep. The odds of the best performed property market across a country that has eight capital cities and 200 individual regional towns. The odds of it being your hometown, you have a lower than one in 200 chance. Yeah. So play the odds, right? Be, be borders. That's step number one. Um, yeah. Asset type. Only ever buy a detached house and make sure it's an established detached house. Never ever buy new. It's just loaded with taxes. We've got enough evidence now at our disposal to know that detached houses grow a lot more than apartments, townhouses, duplexes. That's not saying those other asset classes won't grow at all, but you would be ridiculous to ignore the proof that they will never grow as much as a detached house. Yep. Uh, yep. Um, and look, never pay any more than, I used to say $500,000 for an investment property, but that was before this super boom. Yep. Um, so now I'll say, so principle's the same. Don't have all your eggs in one basket. So never pay more than about $800,000 for an asset. Um, we're commonly paying somewhere between six and seven hundred thousand dollars when we're representing an investor um, all around Australia. So a few yeah. fundamental tips there for property investors. Yeah, a, a brilliant framework to approach things. And when we uh, overlay that against your projections, and when we get together for part two, mate, uh, that's going to make uh, some great informative decisions. So, I'd, mate, uh, as always, thanks for setting the scene. Uh, we look forward to your deep dive uh, in part two next week. And thanks again for your time on the show today, mate. Well, as I've always said, knowledge is about reading the past, but it takes real wisdom to predict the future. So if you're looking for proven property wisdom to guide your investment decisions, have a read of Simon's full 2022 property market report on his website at propertyology.com.au or reach out to Simon and the Propertyology team. You're watching Realty Talk your go-to place for all things property. Successful property investment is a game of finance. Do you have the right team and the right game plan? Realty Talk is brought to you by Know How Property. More than mortgage brokers, Bushy Martin and his team of investment architects set you up with a sustainable strategy structured to lower your costs, tax, risk and stress while increasing your capacity for growth. KnowHow has helped over 1,900 homeowners and investors secure more than $800 million in property wealth. So get set to live more, work less, and live your legacy. Want to know how to invest in your freedom? Visit knowhowproperty.com.au. Greetings and welcome. Now, as we've said many times before here on Realty Talk, most investors tend to focus on how much money they're likely to make without considering the risks and how to protect their investments. In other words, investors tend to focus just on the returns without properly considering the risks. They concentrate on how much money they'll gain without looking at how much they stand to lose. So to balance the books so that you're looking at investments from all sides to make better informed decisions, we're joined by our resident risk management and superannuation expert, Darren Kingdon of Kingdon Financial Services, who's also the author of his most recent book, Master Your Super. So welcome back to the show, Darren. G'day, Bushy. How are you going? Great to see you again. 
Always good to catch up with you, mate, and uh, we love your insights, particularly around the uh, the super space in particular. But uh, Darren, just to kick things off with some context around the old investment reward and risk exercise, where do you think that real estate fits in on the risk and return scale? Look, I think, yeah, that old risk and return or risk and possible return scale, as I like to call it, um, because one never knows where things are going to um, head in, in the short term. But if we think of, I guess, the extremities of risk and return, like we've got cash and one end of the spectrum, which is usually regarded as a low risk, low return, or some people might say um, some risk and no return these days, um, given yeah. where interest rates currently are. And then you've got cryptocurrency probably at the other end of the spectrum that's well known for its volatility. It's gone backwards um, six times at 50% or more since its inception, what Bitcoin has particularly. So they're, at the, I guess, at the extreme ends of the spectrums when you look at things on an asset class um, perspective. If we're thinking about direct real estate, um, such as residential, commercial, uh, industrial real estate, that I believe is pretty much in the middle, um, you know, and, and I guess we sort of isolate that a little bit more. Risk, um, residential real estate, I, I think, is is somewhat lower risk, um, lower return than commercial real estate, and there is a bit of extra risk associated with um, commercial real estate, just because of the potentially litigious nature of some of the leases. There's often disputes around who has to pay what at, at different times, and there can be longer periods of um, of no tenancy with commercial real estate. Um, that's on probably on the direct side of things. And then if we think about listed real estate, well, that starts to sort of push out towards, um, you know, the stock market level of risk and return, slightly higher risk and, and, and slightly higher return. Um, the only other caveat to that, Bushy, was, well, if we, depending on how you purchase it, if we purchase real estate with debt, um, then we are bringing in extra uh, risks into the equation. There could be an interest rate hike uh, that we need to budget on, uh, that there's going to be extra costs um, associated with borrowings. And, and each time you borrow, look, interest rates have never been down forever um, as long as they have been. So it's, uh, we've got to be prepared uh, on that side of things as well. So if there is debt in the equation, that still starts to creep out the risk return. But it starts in the middle, in my view. Yeah, great. So uh, sort of centrally placed compared to the, the other alternatives. So uh, how often do you think investors need to expect negative returns then, Darren? Yeah, well, I think it, yeah, it, it often gets forgotten about a little bit in the direct real estate sense um, or, or owning uh, property directly. A couple of interesting, um, there's, there's a lot of always very interesting case studies um, on this. I noticed in the, the Vanguard um, index, so its annual sort of report, um, listed Australian real estate uh, produced a, a negative return um, every 7.5 years um, over the last 30-year period since 1990. Um, listed um, international real estate was at around five, every five years there was a ne negative return expected. Um, and, and also I noticed on the, on the Australian um, uh, residential housing front, there was an interesting report by Matusik um, over the period from 1970, so a longer period of time, 1970 to 2021, 
despite there being an average return of, of a tick over um, 7%, uh, the actual negative return experiences was one every three years, which, which might be surprising to some, albeit that I guess during that 70s and early 80s period, there were um, some uh, ructions in the market going off the gold standard and some deflationary forces and things like that. So yeah. probably in summary, look, you, you could sort of say, you know, in that three to every three to eight years, you could expect a negative return. Yeah, I think that's well summed up from our own experience, Darren. Uh, the property cycle takes about, uh, on average, uh, if you look at the last 30 years at least, uh, you go through a full cycle, it's every 15 years. Mm. And during that cycle, there, there's always an expectation from our front that there's going to be a uh, a five to ten percent correction at, at some point in time, yeah. so that that tends to line up pretty neatly with uh, what you've described there. So, uh, but the the real point as you're making is that uh, a lot of investors go in, particularly with property, never expecting it to uh, see any negative result. Well, mm. those of us that have been into into it long enough know that's not the case. So. Uh, mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, well pointed out. So um, getting back on the property front then, what are the options as you see it to obtain exposure uh, to property for potential yeah. buyers? Look, I think there are, there are three main baskets. We've got the, the direct um, ownership route. So you or maybe others in partnership perhaps uh, go and buy a property jointly. Um, and, and that's a, that's a great way um, from an investment financial education standpoint to do it that way. And, and what, what, the, what we tend to find in, in that sort of environment, you know, investing like that does have a low lower correlation to the stock market and and when we start to think about diversification and, and and trying to have all the bases covered across all the different economic seasons that then direct pro property can act as a really nice hedge in that environment yep. um so that's but but i guess that that's on the positive side is that that well that's what um can occur but on the negative side you've still got the, the lumpy nature of the asset and and it's potentially an illiquid um, in type of investment. So we've always got to be planning for that. Yep. So that's sort of one, the direct, and then, then, then we start to get into more the managed managed type of investment. So that might be available for retail or, or, or wholesale investors. Um, and, and there's different, um, there's, there's many myriad of products out there in that front. Um, a lot of that is in the, the domain of, of the financial advisors, but we've got to be a bit conscious in, in that managed type of context it's generally sold as being um, a liquid type of investment, but but history has sort of showed that sometimes there can be liquidity issues, um, depending if there's a run on uh, these types of funds and, and too many people are asking for their money at once. Yep. Um, so that's the second one. And then the third one I think I alluded to before, which is just in that, that listed um, uh, real estate, such as the Real Estate Investment Trust or REITs as they're known, um, they start to then have a higher correlation to the stock market, as we just pointed out, but there is a higher level of liquidity um, in that type of investment as well. So, so they're, they're probably the three categories or the three baskets of, of real estate investing that, that, um, that, that I think are, are mainly out there at the moment. Yeah, no, spot on. So uh, putting that all into context then, what, what do you consider to be the best ways for investors to start their real estate in investment journey, Darren? 
I think I think not the first one. Just go. I think going directly. Um, and, and look, and the caveat of that is, is well, if you're in the um, in the real estate game for the long haul, and you're really looking to improve your financial education, then then I think the first thing you can do is look. If you can find a great mentor, um, somebody that's been there, done that in the property front, that's made a lot of mistakes that you can learn from. You benefit from their experience. Um, so you, you really do. If you've got that financial education mindset, then then I think that's the that's the optimum way to go. Um, I mean, in terms of um, um, when we think about real estate um, and oh yeah, so and just sort of knowing the numbers on the on the you know the, the property as well. So when you start to um, brainstorm uh, and workshop with a mentor or with a, a buyer's agent just knowing the numbers because there's an awful lot of expenses that are associated with property. Um, so getting a handle on, on the numbers, um, and it is a big deal. It's a big investment for, for people buying in property. So you want to try to tip those odds in your favour as much as you possibly can. Yeah, no, very well said there, mate. Uh, so I'd, I'd really want to thank you for your quite timely insights again today, Darren, and thanks again for your time on the show today. Yeah, great to see you, Bushy. Thanks, Darren. Well, there's a very timely reminder that there's no such thing as high returns without risk. You just need to be aware of them and know how to mitigate them before you start. So if you're looking for guidance in this area, reach out to Darren and the team at Kingdom Financial Services if you need guidance in this very important risk side of the equation. You're watching Australia's most popular property show, so stay with us for more here on Realty Talk. Property deductions can save you thousands of dollars each year. To make sure you maximise deductions, you need to work with the most experienced quantity surveyor in the country. BMT Tax Depreciation is the leading specialist in the industry. They've completed over 700,000 tax deduction schedules for residential investment and commercial properties Australia-wide. BMT guarantee to find double your fee in the first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation-free quote. Greetings and welcome. Now, in the cut and thrust world of property management, the old days of tenants responding to letting ads in the paper is long gone, as social media and tech continue to transform the industry. So to dig into this tech transformation, we're joined by Adam Hines, the National Business Development Manager of Sorted Services, who work closely with property managers and are Australia's first all-in-one home services marketplace, allowing you to connect everything you need for your home all in one place. So welcome to Realty Talk, Adam. Thanks, Bushy. Welcome. Thanks for having me. But uh, looking forward to getting to this subject. Uh, to kick things off, mate, uh, what are some of the ways that property managers are using social media to effectively reach renters? I think, uh, from what I've seen, I think more the pandemic's forced the industry to pivot and then use social media a lot more. I think the biggest one is via virtual inspections. I think, especially Melbourne-based, uh, the second, probably the second lockdown, they really started to use virtual inspections going in as a tenant was moving out and actually doing inspection at the time by video and then live streaming that out to Facebook. I felt that was probably the biggest part where they were using the social media over that time, uh, probably over the last, especially over the last couple of years through COVID. Yeah, it's been pretty effective in that regard, particularly for people who can't get to the property for one reason or another. Um, Absolutely. On, on the flip side of that, Adam, what types of tech platforms are renters now using and why? Well, I think they've still got the traditional listing sites, realestate.com, domain, et cetera. Um, but again, they're using Facebook. There's application sites where they're able to apply for your properties, um, how to pay the rent. There's multiple ways of paying the rent. So looking at different 
platforms and sites to be able to do that, not just traditional BPay or direct debit. And obviously, once you're in the property, um, using maintenance, so reporting your maintenance back. So again, there's, there's different technology and social media platforms are able to do that via that area. Um, I think from a tenant's perspective, they're trying to find tech platforms that are easily accessible for all your transactions and keeping connected at the one time. And that's where it's sort of able to help with that. Yeah, no, that's uh, really interesting. So uh, sort of stepping back from that for a minute, then from from your sort of services perspective, are you finding a high volume of new business inquiries from property managers and renters coming via social media then? I think it's a bit of both. Talking to a lot of the agents we talk to, there's still that traditional word of mouth, repeat business, cold calling, your traditional way of getting new properties on board. And there's now that non-traditional, which is becoming the traditional norm is the Facebook, Google reviews, um, tenants are able to now look at, and landlords are now able to look at um, all the different platforms. You have to look at if the property manager's been good, bad, indifferent, uh, and able to work through their uh, their business that way. Yeah, no, it's a uh, an exciting era that we're moving into. Uh, really appreciate you sharing these uh, eye-opening insights with us, Adam, and and thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Bushy. Well, here's just further evidence that our always-on social media smartphone world is changing the way we live and the way we do business, both quickly and effectively, all in the palm of our hand. And if you want to take this to the next level, check out sortedservices.com, where you can hook up your electricity, gas, internet, insurance, removal, or some more with just a few taps on your phone. Keep watching Realty Talk, your go-to place for all things property. Well, that's another wrap for this week's show. A big shout out to our special guests, Simon Presley, Darren Kingdon, and Adam Hines. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of Australia's longest running and most popular online property show, subscribe to Realty Talk Now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen. And make sure you sign up on the realty.com.au homepage to get every episode in your inbox every week. And while you're there, make sure you check out one of Australia's most extensive range of properties for sale from over 7,000 agents nationally. Thanks again to realty.com.au and BMT Tax Depreciation for their ongoing support. I'm Bushy Martin from Know How Property Finance and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Miss something in this week's show or want to catch up on past shows? Do it anytime at realty.com.au where we connect buyers, sellers and agents differently. 